Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number nine. Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show. Live from Colorado, here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What's going on, Doug? Hey, Rick. Things are going well, man. I'm just kind of humming along here and having a good week. It's Friday night, so yeah, things are good. I hear you. I'm glad to be through another week. The weeks can kind of drag on. I'm telling you, this year's going by so fast. We're almost halfway through February already. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe every time I write down like the year 2021 already, really? Pretty soon 2021 will be here. It'll be June going by on me like that. So, but it's been a good year. It's a good start to the year. So I'm hoping that, the, that things keep up. And been loving doing the podcast and learning so many things about what people have done in real estate. It's it's helped me out a lot. Oh, sure has. Yeah, this has been the best learning experience for me. So, do you have yeah. a quote for the week? I do. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure where this one comes from, but it's an old quote, something that I've heard throughout my life. Wanted to use this one tonight because our uh, guest, Chris, who was on with us, mentioned after we had gotten done talking and recording the podcast that this is something that he was told when he was a young man by another dentist that had some experience in that. And he said, if you own a lot of stuff, eventually the stuff owns you. The context in which I've always heard that is if you are out buying a lot of different things and they're all debts and they're all hanging over your head, eventually that stuff owns you. In other words, it locks you into a lifestyle that you have to live now because you've chosen to buy all these things and spend all that money. So if you can instead buy assets, things that pay you, those things are are not going to own you. You're going to control them and they're going to work for you. And they're going to give you the freedom that you're looking for. So that's a great lesson, I think, from, for people to learn that, that eventually things will own you if all you're doing is, is buying things that are not assets. You know, you're buying liabilities. When you mention liability, it's not only the initial outpour of money that you pay, but then things always break down and you got to fix them. I always want to do it myself and then I got to become an expert on whatever that is. And it just takes a lot of time. Absolutely right. So not only do you find that if you buy something and you're paying for it, that there's that obligation, but you've also got a time obligation. If it's a, you know, if it's a house that's something you live in or a second home or something like that, that's not a cash flow producer. You have to keep it up. You have to, to figure out how to do all that. Or Yeah, we just got them talking to Chris. So what do you think? Great guy he is. He is a very smart young man, you can tell. And I think he must have had some very good leadership and some people really guiding him. One thing he said, you know, he kind of jumps into things kind of head first and just doesn't really think them through as much as maybe he could think them through. And he wants to do it. Having purchased the uh, dental office at a medical school and then buying properties, daddy made up his mind he wanted to do it and he went and did it. You've got to have some kind of guidance for that. You know, I thought it was really interesting what a great thing he did for himself in making up his mind to take those steps, even though they weren't the easy thing to do. I wonder if it's all because Alyssa's his older sister, and she was just such a great older sister model for him. Probably something to that, or felt like he needed to keep up. <laughs> it sounds like their whole family is well-grounded, so it's probably the parents just got him off to a great start. Well, and he did mention, too, as he grew up, he was kind of a pretty good middle-class kind of neighborhood. Sounds like he kind of saw some good behaviors and maybe some things from his parents. You never know where you're, you're going to find inspiration. 
All right. Well, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Chris. Today, we have a special guest. We have Alyssa's brother from show number two, Chris. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Glad to have you. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. All right. So can you tell us what Alyssa's favorite doll was growing up? Uh, I don't know, but it's probably some sort of Barbie. Probably a Barbie that had gotten a haircut or two from her only mean brother, you know? <laughs> All right, you got to tell us a little bit about the family here. How many brothers, sisters, what's going on here? Sure. Alyssa was the oldest, or is the oldest, and then it's me, and then three sisters younger than me, so so four girls and me. Wow, that's yep, a lot yep. of estrogen yep. in the family. It was a lot, but uh, I, I had enough testosterone to balance them all out, so it was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alyssa was kind of the uh, classic oldest child, you know, always working real hard and that kind of stuff. I take it a little bit easier than her. Yeah, she's a hard act to follow on that show number two. She is, sure. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a 33. I'm a dentist. I live in suburbs of Houston, Texas. Uh, we grew up not too far from here as well. I've been married for seven years, and I have uh, two little boys, 18-month-old and a four-year-old. Okay, yeah, you're in the middle of a lot of chaos. Sure. <laughs> But it's, it's a fun time most of the time, except bedtime. Okay, so how did you get into real estate? I'll probably kind of just start with a, sort of my, my basic, how I got into finances generally, and that kind of dovetails into real estate, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah, so I would say we always grew up like fairly frugal and that kind of stuff, a kind of typical big family, kids of an engineer, that kind of stuff, where you're you know, kind of thoughtful about where you spend your money and, and that kind of stuff. Had some help with college and had to pay for some of the other portions and that kind of stuff. So kind of generally knew the uh, the value of a buck. But I, I always kind of really liked balance in life. So I was kind of drawn towards dentistry and their three-day weekends. Uh, those are a pretty nice perk. So as I was getting ready to graduate dental school, I was kind of trying to think about what I wanted to do and uh, what, what sort of work opportunities uh, I wanted and I was actually um, with a private practice dentist, and there were a group of maybe 15 of us. And uh, after he'd kind of given his little talk, he asked all of us if we had questions. So I, uh, I let the serious questions pass first. And then at the end, I raised my hand and I said, so what would you think if a, an associate wanted four weeks of vacation? You know, unpaid, of course. And he just kind of laughed and he said, no one really did that. So uh, I decided I had to buy a practice right out of school. I was the only one who did that in my class. Uh, fortunately, I had kind of the nice support of my wife who was already working. But it, it turns out there's a reason not a lot of people do that. It's a, it's a pretty big jump. Um, so it's, it's pretty stressful for the first six months, nine months, something like that. Fortunately, in that time, my older sister, Alyssa, who you guys interviewed on show two, introduced me to Mr. Money Mustache. And so that was really where my interest in finances began. And so that would have been, uh, see, I guess, February, so... This month, six years ago, and I've always liked reading blogs and kind of absorbing information and that kind of stuff. So I just dug in pretty deep. So for the people so, yeah. that haven't listened to Mr. Money Mustache, what what's going on there? Mr. Money Mustache kind of espouses just spending in line with your values, kind of trying to figure out what you what you really want out of life and using your money efficiently to get to those goals. And so a lot of that crowd, uh, which I could still consider myself at least maybe a kind of a distant part of, would kind of work to retire earlier and that kind of stuff. Yeah, basically just lots lots of saving and investing and, and spending money on things that you value, but try not to spend too much money on things that you don't really value. 
Wow. So you got out of dental school and you went out and bought your own practice and you were saying the first six months were crazy? Yeah. Fortunately, I bought a small practice, so it was pretty manageable. Even me as a new grad, I was like, this is this is boring. There's not enough work to do here. So I, I put a lot of time and effort, did a lot of reading and that kind of stuff to learn how to grow the practice. And I, I bought another small practice, uh, just like the we call it charts. So you kind of buy access to the patients and then most of them will come see you. And so that helped the practice to grow. But it was sort of that stress of, of a lot of changes all at once that kind of made it the perfect time for me to really change my mind about some things and take on a new sort of mindset. So it was a great time. And I was really fortunate that Alyssa introduced me to that at the time because it was, it was a good time to be motivated and focused uh, and kind of get your money philosophy kind of where you want it to be. I think otherwise I would have probably bought a big new truck and all that kind of stuff like a lot of people do right out of school. So I was fortunate that hit it really really a pretty ideal time in my life. Fortunately, not too far after that, my practice became more successful, you know, kind of a, to a modest level. And I just was basically saving and investing for a while, mostly mostly index fund type of stuff. But then I heard about real estate and then dug around the Bigger Pockets website. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bigger Pockets. Oh, yeah. I'm a fan of Brandon and David. Sure, sure. So I did a lot of listening to uh, to their podcast as well and reading around their forums. Eventually, came across some posts by a guy who was posting about my area. And so I just said, oh, what the heck? So I reached out to him and said, hey, can I, can I buy you some lunch and, and pick your brain? And so he kind of told me about his philosophy of, of real estate investing. And uh, he'd actually retired basically at like 42 and was running a sort of part-time real estate business at that point. So he was a he was a cool contact to have, and it was it was great to kind of learn the ropes from somebody, basically. Wow. So now, what is your goal? As your you already have a pretty successful practice or practices mm-hmm. going. So what's yeah, your goal practice. here? So I've always I've always really valued kind of like freedom and autonomy of how I choose to spend my time. At this point, I actually really like practicing dentistry. In the beginning, you know, when it was too stressful, it was it was almost a form of escapism, kind of thinking about how quick you could quit. But then, you you know, you kind of mold things to your style. But, yeah, basically, I'd, I'd like to at some point in the future, uh, at least while my kids are young, uh, drop down days, maybe to three days, something like that for a while. And then just sort of have the portfolio be there as sort of a cushion, you know, that gives you the confidence to make the life choices you want to make. So you have a lot going on here. You got a new practice. You got two kids. Did you have kids at this time? No. In 2014, I graduated dental school, moved, got married, went on a honeymoon, and then bought a practice. <laughs> okay. It was a busy summer. Yeah. Wow. So that's yeah. really nice that your wife is uh, – what does she do for a living? She's an engineer. Engineer, right. And she yeah. helps helped you kind of financially through this rocky time? Yes. Yes. I would say she – functioned a lot like our portfolio does now. It's kind of like that bedrock to where you know things will be taken care of that allows you to make the choices that you would otherwise want to make, if that makes sense. Sure does. Get the foundation laid. Exactly. All right. So you met with this bigger pockets guy, picked his brain, and you ran away from real estate and back to dentistry or what did you do? (laughs) No, no, no. So I'm still in dentistry. Dentistry. Is, a, is sort of that cash engine, basically, that gives me the ability to invest off into real estate and index funds. 
but I, I'm kind of a guy who likes to jump. So right away, I did, I think, three houses within three months, all sort of different styles. Okay, we got to break those down. Yeah, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about the properties themselves and were they buy and holds? Did you flip them? What, what kind of uh, strategy did you have there? Two of them I was planning on being buy and holds, and one was going to be a sort of line of credit, like kind of like a slow flip. So the first one I bought was through a, a turnkey company called Memphis Invest at the time. And that was basically one where you more or less, you kind of pick through pictures of houses and you, you got a little pro forma, you know, that tells you what the house costs and tax rate and that kind of stuff, what rent's going to be. So I did one of those. Uh, that one was in uh, the Dallas area and I bought it for just under 140000 at the time. Uh, and it was renting for about thirteen seventy five, so kind of close to that one percent rule. That's a good rule of thumb where things are kind of starting to make sense. Harder to find now, of course. But uh, the second one was going to be the fix and flip type of one. And my plan with that one, I had a one hundred fifty thousand dollar line of credit, and I think it was at four and a half or four point seven five percent interest. And so there was a house that was kind of beat up like a maybe a 1980s house. So we we're planning on putting maybe 25,000 into it, renting for a year or two and then selling to get the cash back out and then kind of do that sort of thing. Um, I was thinking about doing something like a burr, but just kind of wanting to dip my feet into a few different types of things. The third one, which actually ended up being certainly my favorite of the three, I thought of it kind of was like a Honda Accord of a house. It was built in the kind of early 2000s brick exterior. It was a three bedroom, two bathroom, barely needed any work. So bought that one for 132000 and it rented for, I think, thirteen twenty five a month, painted it, got it rented. And I still own that one. It's, it, it's, it's done great. It's just been a little Honda Accord. It's kind of a, you know, a base hit sort of thing. I, I bought another one in that neighborhood a couple of years after that, but yeah, it's, that, that's been my favorite one so far. And I think the reason it's my favorite is, is just cause it's, it was kind of simple. I don't really like uh, complicated things that much. Like I like ideas in my head and kind of learning how to do things, but I don't like businesses with tons of moving parts. Um, and so, so that type of real estate investing was, was a good fit for me, basically. Excellent. So you have these three properties now. You got a couple of rentals. And this flip that you did, did, did it end up actually being a flip or was it something that you ended up holding on to? It was the, the worst kind of uh, real estate deal. You got to hear more about that. Sure, sure. So it's definitely one of those where you, you know, you frequently hear of early on in any sort of business, you, you make a few mistakes. Generally, you can think of them as just sort of paying for a lesson, basically. So we had the property for probably a year and a half total. The contractor we were using was the agent I'd met on Bigger Pockets, had used some in the past. And it was kind of a medium sized job, 25000 bucks worth of rehab. It was supposed to take four weeks and it took four months, which lasted through the, the birth of my first child. <laughs> it was kind of a mess, but eventually we, we got a renter into it. That renter left at eight months into a two year lease. And then I was just, I was just kind of fed up with the house at the time, you know? <laughs> so we ended up selling it and probably broke roughly even as far as money was concerned. So it was, it was mostly a lesson learner, kind of what you, what you like, what you don't like. Why, why did it take uh, four months? This is perhaps a lesson for anybody looking to get into this kind of stuff who's, I consider myself a sort of a relationships guy, but I'm not that good at managing projects. So anytime I would give this guy the next 5,000 bucks to keep going, I wasn't checking up on him like I should have. And he was using that money to finish up 
a previous project at another location oh, no. for another person. Yeah. Uh-oh. And he had lots of excuses, of course. You know, I checked in with, with my real estate agent buddy, and apparently that's kind of common for this guy now anyways. So, but it, it ended up working out okay. Uh, we were able to sell the house for enough to basically get out of it what we'd put into it between purchase price and rehab. Probably lost a bit of holding costs, maybe a few grand along the way, but not a not a huge thing one way or the other. But definitely a lesson that wasn't my style of investing. That wasn't going to be what I was good at. <laughs> definitely good to know your limitations, that's for sure. Sure, sure. That's great. So you had these three properties. What came next? I sold that one that I hated. <laughs> and then I picked up another one like the one I liked. And that one has done similarly where basically it's, you know, it was, I think it was 125 grand purchase price rented for 1275 at the time. So yeah, they're just kind of, kind of nice. I just call them Honda Accords. Basically it's like the car I drive. It's, it's not pretty, but it's just, you know, it's going to get you to the place you want to want to go. And this, that was in, I guess, 2015, the first one, and then 2016, the second one. And then for a while, we just kind of invested in index funds, you know, low-cost index fund type of stuff. And then eventually, I was kind of like my friend, the real estate agent who does investing as well. He's kind of a – he's a cash guy mostly. So he doesn't do mortgages and that kind of stuff on his houses. And he just – he calls it buying his cash flow. Um, and it's just, just a kind of a simpler way to do it. So I had sure, if you have the cash. Sure, sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had mortgages on those first three, but I wanted to sort of utilize my time better and sort of scale up a little bit quicker to where I wanted to get with real estate. So I had him uh, just basically put MLS search out, you know, where it would notify me if certain types of properties came up. And so I was looking for a multifamily. And so this uh, multifamily, uh, about an hour and a half north of Houston came up and it was two duplexes. Um, around this courtyard with the adjacent property also having two duplexes. And it was coming up on, a, I don't recall if it was a tax auction or something like that, but it was it was a previous property that had been foreclosed and was up for auction. Um, oh, so that was nice. Yeah. So that was the next, next deal I did. So and this that was was two duplexes, but it's two of them. So eight of them. So there's eight units total around this courtyard. Four of them are considered one address and four were considered the other address. They were both separate deals. So I bought the left side, so two duplexes, four units uh, first, and that was like bring cashier's checks to the uh, courthouse sort of thing in a fairly small town up there. Unfortunately, I was I was the only person there. So at the end of the auction, the uh, auctioneer said, hey, I can tell you the reserve price. And so I got it for 100 bucks over the reserve price. So that was pretty great. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're the first guest to have bought an auction house. And that was my only one, so I can't claim any sort of expertise there. I actually, I paid that real estate agent who I've become friends with to go with me and then manage the subsequent rehab of the house because he's doing that all the time. He flips probably 15 or 20 houses a year. So I was like, I'd rather pay you to do it, get a decent property, and then then go from there. Did you get a pretty good price on that, uh, these eight stores? It would have been a good price if I was good at managing rehabs. <laughs> so it was a good price, but then I probably put a little too much money into the units. I mean, we fixed, it was, it was basically an entire gut job down to the studs. So new floors, new roofs, new AC, and it's new plumbing entirely on basically all of them, almost all eight units. 
the funny thing about the second side, the uh, second set of two duplexes, so like the right side of the courtyard for these properties, it was an online auction for that second side because it was a separate uh, entity for whatever reason that they were going through. I think I bid 105000 and it, it was a blind bid, so you didn't see what other people were bidding, and another guy bid like 107000 So I didn't get those, but uh, I talked to the guy, and I really wanted to kind of control that whole courtyard because to me it wouldn't make a lot of sense if I wanted to fix mine up a little bit nicer and he kind of wanted to just patch leaks and I was trying to rent mine 20% more than his. I just, I, I didn't think that'd be a good business plan. So I made him some offers for, for his side. Uh, we went back and forth and ended up eventually uh, closing on those too. So if he had to do it all over again, uh, would you have not done as much rehab? Hard to say. I'd probably do a little bit less, but it's also nice to know that I'm probably finished with any big stuff for 10 years or so out there. So it probably wasn't totally ideal, but I think it'll work out well, more or less. And are these class C or class B? No, they're definitely not B. I'd probably call them class C, maybe even C minus. That's kind of the interesting thing. So my two houses that I really like that were are both in that one neighborhood, I'd call kind of class B, B minus. And those are great because they are never vacant. They don't look quite as good on paper, but they do about as well as the class C ones I own, the duplexes, even though they look better on paper, but the vacancies and having a little bit lower cost per unit, lower rent per unit, just eats up those you know little repair bills that come up from time to time quicker. How did the rents turn out on those duplexes? Uh, better than I thought. Uh, so we basically, after everything was said and done for those eight units, had about 500 K in total. And then we rent them when they're fully rented, they rent for about 7,000 total for, for all of them. So they rent for a, a little under 900 a unit and they're sort of rural Texas. So they're, they're nice sort of efficiency apartments. They're like 900 or a thousand square feet, two bedroom, a little kitchen with nice, nice flooring and, you know, everything's working well, everything's new. Yeah, they're probably about a 7 or 8% cap rate, basically. So you're really getting a taste of quite a bit here. And as you must be liking it because you just keep buying. <laughs> My wife, in order to uh, let me buy that second set of duplexes from that, that gentleman who overbid me by just a touch, she said I had to promise not to do any real estate for two years. <laughs> <laughs> As you might be able to tell already, I'm, I jump an idea and I go with it. I bought a practice right out of school and then I, you know, kind of jumped into real estate headfirst. She's kind of the uh, the more slow and measured one, which which is a good balance to me. I'm at the end of that two year period though, so. <laughs> so you, you've got a lot of things here, Chris. A lot of different kinds of things that you've done. What kind of criteria do you use when you're looking for properties? I'm mostly looking for cash flow out of my properties. Since I want to sort of have my my portfolio between real estate and uh, index funds, I'd like it to be able to support my day-to-day expenses should I ever want to or need to take uh, extended time off of dentistry. So I sort of use real estate as both an inflation hedge. I keep mortgages on my uh, three single-family homes that I own and the basically eight units worth of duplexes. I'm using those primarily for cash flow. So that's kind of how I'm evaluating my deals. 
I'm looking for for things that'll cash flow at least a hundred bucks a month for a unit or something like that. It's it's a little bit easier in in, in different markets than others. Uh, I'd imagine probably up in Denver, that's a little tougher. I've I've talked with Alyssa and David a good bit about that market and just kind of poked around Zillow for fun. I'd imagine you got to get a lot more creative and find better deals than what I have. So for sure, it's tough up here. And uh, you know, you talk about these kind of Honda Accord properties and the ones you really like, obviously. Part of that is the simplicity of the deal and the fact that those houses are in pretty good shape. Do you have other criteria that you're using, not necessarily just in terms of cash flow, but like number of bedrooms and bathrooms, a brick exterior, that sort of thing? What are you looking for there? Uh, basically, I want stuff that's just going to be right in the meat of the market. Three bedroom, two bath to me is sort of the sweet spot. If you can get a brick exterior or hardy plank exterior, those are just going to be more durable. I like simple things that don't break. You know, so maybe tile on the floor, maybe some of those kind of that fake wood, like vinyl plank type of stuff is, is good. Carpet, I've got it in a few rooms and that kind of stuff, but it's a little more annoying. You'll have to replace it, you know, every four or five years, something like that. So we yeah, have three twos, maybe 1,200 to 1,300 square feet for a single family home. And something that ideally will get close to around the 1% rule with a, in Texas, the taxes are a big deal. So if you get a property that's like 3% tax rate, like the one I have through that turnkey company, that eats up all the cash flow. Uh, so I probably won't keep that one forever. I'll, I'll probably end up doing a 1031 exchange with that one in time to maybe another duplex or triplex that, that cash flows better. Yeah, that's just a, another kind of small thing that I've picked up along the way is uh, whenever I was eager to jump in at the beginning, I overlooked a few a few details, but it's all worked out well. The property's appreciated nicely. It's about cash flow neutral, probably, mostly just because it's needed a few bigger rehabs and turnovers between tenants and stuff like that. Now, do you manage yeah. these yourself? So I managed my two Honda Accords in that one neighborhood I like, uh, you know, the properties anyways. Uh, I managed those myself, and they're, they've been a breeze to manage. One of them just turned over, and it was vacant for one day. <laughs> so and and it's it's rare for them to be vacant for more than a month. So those have been super easy. The duplexes, I have a property manager up there. I interviewed probably four or five of them. So that was something I'd learned and a reason I was kind of glad I started with single family homes um, is I'd kind of learned what to avoid and what not to avoid, what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do, what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And so I knew I did not want to mess with you know, eight units worth of C-class tenants, just even the turnover and that kind of stuff. I'm sure they're all, they're all great folks, but it's uh, it's nice to not have sort of the day-to-day management of that on, on myself. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart, and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stahlrealty at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now back to our show. Yeah. Do you have any uh, tenants or landlord stories that are interesting to tell? Let's see. 
Probably nothing super exciting. Uh, the only weird one was uh, that property I really didn't like that took four months to rehab. <clears throat> I ended up getting a, a, a real estate agent in that house, uh, but he was, was kind of the, the loner sort of type, like had his own brokerage, but the brokerage was in a different city in Texas. So it's kind of like that weird sort of self-employed person that you're Banks kind of watch out for a little bit. So this guy, he was, he, he was a nice guy, but after eight months into a two year lease, uh, he's basically just like sent me all these pictures and said, Hey, there's this mold. My doctor says that, you know, messing with my allergies, I'm going to move out. So I was like, Hey, man, I don't want it to be harmful to your health or anything like that. You know, we'll get you out of the lease. No worries. So I had it inspected for mold and there were no signs of mold or anything like that. And this guy was just hounding me for a security deposit. And I was just like, hey, man, I had the place inspected. It, first of all, there wasn't mold. And then second of all, you know, you've got a bunch of stuff you hung up here and I've got to repaint the whole place because you did a little bit of damage. Nothing crazy, but certainly enough to eat up his whole security deposit. Uh, but he threatened lawyers. So that was definitely my, my worst experience. But everything else has been really pretty easy. So I, I don't know. I've probably had 20 tenants between my 11 units at this point now. Um, and that's certainly the only one. So in my opinion, all all of the kind of scare tactics people use about running toilets at 2 a.m., it's it's just, they're few and far between. Yeah. How, how I had, do you I, advertise for these tenants? And then how do you screen <laughs> for people? And then how do you collect the money? I keep it pretty simple with all that. I just let my, uh, my real estate agent buddy put the properties up. Uh, he just takes pictures on his cell phone. So he just puts them on the MLS, tenant-wise. And that's worked out great screening i use my smart move I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that but basically it's just a tenant screening software so after i look through their application if it, if it looks like i would rent to them i put them through that and it checks for eviction uh, history it verifies income credit history that kind of stuff and then how do you collect the money so basically i just give them the option they can send me the money via zelle It'll go straight into the account that I use for real estate. They'll, they can send me Venmo. They can deposit a check straight into my account um, or they can bring a check by my house. But for the two that I manage, basically, I only want to go there if they're turning over. Uh, they're about 30 minutes from my house, so not, not too far. But I, I like to be pretty hands off. Yeah, I just only give them options that are convenient for me. <laughs> Very good. But yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a great thing. What's kind of uh, on the docket for you next, Chris? What, what are you thinking about doing now that your two-year window is up? Uh, <laughs> what are you thinking uh, about? Well, yeah, so I've gotten I've gotten lazier, or maybe it's the two kids thing, or maybe it's uh, a certain level of success where you just kind of feel like plateauing a bit. Uh, I'm not one of those uh, eternal growth types of guys as far as my portfolio goes. I kind of like the the concept of uh, enough. To where you, you know, you kind of have a goal and you can even set it a little bit lofty, but you don't always move it along is, is, is sort of what I think. As far as kind of what I'm doing now, for the last two years, I've basically, we paid off the Aplex. We, I'll probably do a 1031 exchange on that turnkey company because it's appreciated about hundred grand, um, but doesn't really cash flow much. And I'll probably try to look for a, a duplex or a triplex that'll cash flow a bit more. Um, but then mostly we've just been doing index funds since then. I, I probably won't add much to my real estate portfolio moving forward because it's it's kind of that level of effort and return and diversification that hits that sweet spot for for what I want for it. Well, I'm with I'm a lifestyle kind of guy too, so I'm not the have to be the biggest and have to be the best. As long as I can live comfortably, my family's taken care of, 
I like to spend time with the boys too. You know, I have sons, they're 15 and 13, but yeah, I'm right in the same in boat with you. I think that's a great goal. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I like, uh, I like backpacking and canoe camping as well. So I don't want to do anything where I feel too tied to, uh, you know, always having to be there to manage something. Canoe camping. Oh, that's, is there a lot of that down in Texas? I do most of my canoe camping, uh, between Minnesota and Southern Ontario. Yeah, I do a little bit in uh, the hill country and West Texas. I've got some some favorite rivers out there that we'll go spend three, four days a week uh, paddling down, camping on the side, uh, you know, swimming, fishing, all that kind of good stuff. The boys into that kind of thing yet? The pretty young one is real young, but how about you? <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. It was kind of funny. We actually, when we had just the one, I was uh, – <laughs> all about taking them backpacking and all that kind of stuff. We did a portion of the High Sierra Trail in Sequoia National Park, about 30-something miles. I had him strapped to my front and my backpack strapped to my back, and my wife came with us as well. And then we did a little bit of time in uh, Montana. So we've been we've been backpacking with him a few times. We haven't yet uh, done any backpacking with two kids. I think we'll probably wait uh, wait until until they can carry their own stuff to do too much more with them. Sounds like a wise plan to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've realized that we spent a lot of time doing things with our family, and they were little, and now they don't even remember it. We're right. Like, well, we did that. Oh, I don't remember that. Yep, yep, yeah. My son did some cool things way before memory. <laughs> hey, I got to go back to your uh, dentist question here. Sure. So when you bought the practice right out of college, did you have people working for you, older people, and was that – Kind of weird being the boss, but yet youngest. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. It was it was weird being the boss, even for uh, even for people I was older than uh, back then. Uh, it definitely takes a little learning curve as well. It, it was a really small practice, probably half the size of the national average when I bought it, and there were four employees at that time. And certainly with a small practice like that, it's, it's pretty much a direct transition. One dentist buys it and the other dentist steps aside and isn't really doing any work. It takes a pretty good sized practice to keep two dentists doing anything. It's kind of a weird thing, you know, uh, managing people older than you. And how I did found you the, survive? Uh, I just try to talk to them reasonably, you know, not pretend like I, I knew everything. And they were all really pretty good about it. Always the, the difficult thing when you take a small business and you change ownership of it is that that completely changes the culture of the business. So an unfortunate reality of probably most any small business like that is there, there tends to be some turnover. Um, just as some employees who've been there for 10 or 15 or 20 years kind of liked just loafing with the old doc, you know, <laughs> where they weren't doing much. So, so I don't have any of the same employees from whenever I bought it. I would have been fine keeping some of them, but it just, just didn't work out. One of them tried to order some prescription drugs, uh, presumably to sell. So I found that out, and she, of course, uh, was replaced. <laughs> and then another one ended up, unfortunately, getting getting really sick and, and, and wasn't able to do her job. So she was the hygienist. It's kind of a physical job. you gotta got to do the work. Um, and so, unfortunately, we had to part ways in time as well. All that to say, it's actually easier, even if a, an employee is older than you, if you hired them. Because there's something about coming into the culture versus adapting to a new culture. That just There's a bit of a shift there that, that makes it work easier. Well, you got a lot of life experience. Did you read any business <laughs> books to prepare yourself for that? Not really. 
I'm I'm more of a learn as you go type. They had a business course in dental school, but it was pretty minimal utility. Um, I went to a couple different uh, business courses afterwards, like business continuing education, uh, one of which was super helpful. But then mostly it was kind of just time uh, implementing a bit of that stuff. So it, it took a bit of time. Do you have anybody that uh, you kind of look to? I know you said you listened to some bigger pockets and you were in the Mr. Money mustache and listening to some of those podcasts. Do you have any authors or any, anybody that you like to listen to specifically? Depends on the topic. I, I probably listen to maybe average two to three hours of podcasts a day and have done that for probably at least five years now. So I, I kind of go through phases for a year or two at a time. Um, Bigger Pockets, I always thought, has been great for uh, for real estate stuff. I haven't listened to that stuff in a, in a few years now, just as I've kind of not been growing my real estate business. As far as like index investing and that kind of stuff, I really like a podcast called Rational Reminder uh, by a Canadian named Ben Felix. There's some backpacking podcasts I like <laughs> that are prob- probably not relevant here. Uh, <laughs> well, what's it called? Uh, Sure. Uh, I mean, Backpacker Radio is a really fun one. It's 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 kind of immature, but it, it, in a really fun way. It's kind of through hiking centric, which I, I'm not a through hiker, but the the one guy is actually based out of Golden, who owns the the company and the podcast. Um, so that one's pretty good. Let's see. Yeah, those are kind of kind of some of the some of the main ones that have uh, had my interest over the years. But kind of dozens of other ones along the way. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, this is Secret Sauce for Success Show. So what are your secrets? You know, for me, it's just kind of been learning uh, and then jump in and implement it. Realize it's not going to be perfect at the beginning, but, uh, you know, you're you're human, you're adaptable. So you'll you'll kind of figure out what to do along the way. You'll learn from your mistakes and kind of do things that, that work better moving forward, that work better for you and work better generally. Uh, so for me, the thing has always been to learn enough to figure out kind of what you want and then start dipping your, dipping your feet in. So actually taking action. That, that seems to be what separates a lot of people is if, if you're too afraid to take action, you'll wait too long to do it. And it's always going to be hard at the beginning, you know? Right. That analysis paralysis. Right. Right. I don't suffer from that. <laughs> How did you get by that one? I think part of it's just temperamental. I know what I want to do and I'll just jump in and do it. Part of it's uh, just, I'm sort of optimistic by nature, uh, so I know some tough things will come up, but I know I'll deal with it whenever I get there. But it's, it's led me to a place that I really like. I've got a lot of lot of freedom, a, a lot of options, and it doesn't it, none of that stuff kind of runs my life, if you will. Yeah, certainly, when you're acquiring property and that kind of stuff, it's pretty time consuming. But managing property is for my 11 units, even managing two of the 11. Uh, I bet you I spend two hours a month, maybe, on all of that. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. You know, the optimism, we haven't hit that one yet uh, as, a, as a secret for the success here. And that is a big one. If, if you mm-hmm. really feel like, you know, jumping in and things are going to work out, you're, even if they're probably not going to work out too good, <laughs> you're going to make it work out good. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I guess two of my first three real estate properties really weren't, what I was intending. So one of them was probably a small failure, but uh, one of them was a, uh, you know, kind of a tiny success and the other one was a modest success. But yeah, I mean, you just jump in, you, you kind of learn uh, that, that probably reminds me of one other thing. Um, and it's just sort of that mindset generally, 
I'd say whenever I was probably maybe six to nine months into dental practice, man, I was just stressed and I was just couldn't think about much else. I was only researching how to grow it. And a, a fellow dentist recommended a book called The Energy Bus. And and I'm not really into like the frou-frou sort of mindset type of stuff, but there's definitely something to be said for trying to change the way you approach issues and not just viewing them as a drag on your day, but as an opportunity to learn. And that's obviously easier in, hind, in hindsight than it is sort of at the time. But I do think mindset is really important in, in achieving success. Yeah, I have to agree with that one. Yeah. See, the name of that book was The Energy Bus? The Energy Bus. Like a, something they get on and ride downtown? <laughs> yeah, basically so. I, I They basically just talked about different – and it's been seven years since I've read it. But they talked about kind of the different people you let onto your bus and how some people are you know, energy vampires. And every time they get on your bus, every time they're in your social circle – they're just kind of, they're a pessimist and they just, they don't really bring any constructive criticism. They just kind of lower the energy. Basically the idea is that you have to curate the people that you're around to have the people that you'd like to be more like around you. Interesting. Yeah. It sounds like an interesting book. I'll still look that up. Yeah. Yeah. Another book I like, I know you asked earlier, I didn't mention it though, but probably my favorite real estate book was uh, Building Wealth One House at a Time by John Schaub. And that was probably the one that spoke to me the most. It's kind of an old classic. Um, so some of the numbers in it don't make as much sense uh, in our current environment. Like he was talking about trying to get below 10% interest at the time. But basically the idea is just to, you know, you don't need to, you know, strike it rich with every deal. And he kind of was just his, his deal was to buy a Honda Accord type of house that was just kind of in that meat of the market where, it wasn't ever going to sit empty long and, and do that once every year, once every two years, once every three years as you're able, and then just kind of snowball that over, you know, 10 years, 15 years, you'll be kind of amazed at what can happen. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race, right? Sure. Sure. Even, even though it seems like I've done it fast, it felt slow as I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there are a lot of ways to approach it, I think. And that's, uh, I don't know that one strategy is necessarily better than another. We've heard a lot of different, viewpoints on this podcast even in the short time that we've been doing it so sure yeah i listened to your podcast with uh, i think his name was brooks earlier and, ah. and yeah and that's a guy who who sounds like he'll really scale so my little deals pale in comparison to his <laughs> yeah but we got to do it one house at a time right sure and, and and frankly just it fits my personality better so kind of figure out what your strengths are and try to maximize those is there anything else we missed or that we didn't talk about? Like I was saying earlier, basically, I think the important thing is to kind of early, the earliest you can figure out your philosophy around money. You know, you don't need to never have any monetary joys in life, but, but don't bend frivolously either because that money that you save is what allows you to get to opportunity more easily. Right. Very good. Thanks for being on the show. It's been a pleasure interviewing you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet, Chris. Thanks again, sir. We appreciate it, man. Have a nice evening. All right. You guys take care. Thank you. You too. Wow, what a great interview with Chris. Yeah. You know, he's a, such a funny guy. He's he's this easygoing. Yeah, he's got all these properties, and he's a dentist. Go through dental school. I mean, you can send away in the mail for a diploma from dental school. A tough thing to do. So uh, I love his humility. That's kind of one of the things I enjoyed about him. Yeah, he has it going on. 
after looking through everything, it's like, I took a lot of notes and there was a lot of stuff he went through. You said even in the interview there that you made a comment about how he has a lot of life experience and he does. He's a dentist. He's got his own practice. He bought another practice. He's got a bunch of properties, he's got a wife and a couple of kids. What else is there? You know, and, you- and he's 63, right? Something like that. No. (laughs) I think he's 33 or something in his 30s, and he has all this going on. So what did you like most about some of his stuff here? Well, I think one of the things I took away from this I thought was really interesting, I asked him about his kind of what he looks for, what kind of criteria he uses. Uh, And he, he mentioned one time cap rates, but he didn't mention that in terms of what he looks for which I think is great. I, I personally don't like the cap rate as a, a way to decide whether a property is appropriate. I think it, there's there's too little information there. But he talked about liking his three-bed, two-bath, something with a brick exterior, maybe the like the hardy plank sidings, easy, low maintenance in a nice neighborhood, like a B kind of class neighborhood, something where you can get good, strong renters in there, good quality folks who are, are going to take care of the place, but also something that's durable and not going to need a lot of, of upkeep. Didn't he call it his Honda Accord? Kept referring to these properties as his Honda Accord. Just so they're reliable. They're not flashy. They're not, you know, they're not anything fancy. They're just reliable. How about you, Rick? What what did you take out of that? I haven't read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, but I've heard enough references to it. So I kind of understand the concept of it. And it seems like he's living the millionaire next door life. Very simple, relatively. Doesn't seem to have any extravagant habits or anything, but yet just constantly is living below his means, uh, looking for ways to keep buying assets, looking for eventually the freedom and autonomy that I think we all long for. The one thing I wanted to mention is I've always wanted to buy a house at an auction. I've only been to a couple of them and you know, I was just there looking and trying to figure it out. He said he bought one of the houses and we talked after the show. He mentioned that, yeah, he had all these cashier's checks, $100,000, $50,000, $25,000. You just go up and hand them over to the clerk and there you go, you get a house. I'd like to do that in my lifetime. Yeah, right. It, it sounds like a, something you read in Forbes magazine, right? Like Some big shot goes with a $100,000 check and buys a place cash. An interesting story as well. Yeah, what did you like about his books or uh, secrets to his success? He said something that I have heard, and I heard this so many times, that you can go to a a seminar, you can read a book, you can do all these different things, you can learn all this stuff, but the vast majority of people file it away and then they never do it. He said you've got to learn and you've got to implement. That's what you got to do. You've got to understand what you're doing, and then you've got to go out and do it. If you don't do it, then you're, you're not getting anywhere with it. Yeah, he sure did not have any hesitation in jumping into dentistry, to a second practice, I believe he bought. And then these properties, he's very optimistic. I think we mentioned that in the show. You know, the jumping things, I listen to Bigger Pockets podcast. I think they always refer to that as build your parachute on the way down. So jump and figure it out as you go, right? I mean, you don't have to get this perfect right out of the gate. Right. And I think that's an important lesson, too. It's not brain surgery. It's not like if you make one small move, the patient dies on the table. You know, we're talking about, okay, so I didn't do that right, but we still have the deal. And I didn't do this right, but we're still going to make some money. You know, those things can happen. And optimism is important. Be optimistic and and know that you're going to come out of this thing okay. Uh, If you lose a little money, then you have a learning experience. And if you make some money, you have a learning experience and you can apply that to the next property. Uh, Optimism is really important. I like that as well. 
Yeah, and I think another one of the keys here is he was he very diversified. You know, he has a business providing some money. Uh, his wife's working, you know, then he has the rentals. And then he also has, he mentioned index funds. So nice diversified uh, risk tolerance here. Yeah, he's a, he's a fairly conservative guy. You can tell index funds are certainly conservative types of investments and real estate can be. He owns a lot of multiple unit properties, it sounds like. So uh, that I think is a great hedge against some of the real estate concerns like vacancies in that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he buys next after he's out of the penalty box. Yeah, I asked him a little bit about that. So he's, he's not sure. He's got some ideas. Yeah, hopefully we can have him back on the show in the future. Yeah, right. I'm sure he can come back. We were pretty nice to him, I think. I think so. All right, Doug, you want to take us out of here for the night? Indeed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Chris. We're anxious to share the next interview with you. Until then, a very nice evening. Good week. We'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life, so let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.